From the US to Europe, an international podcast breaking down structured credit one tranche at a time. Welcome to The Last Tranche, Credit Flux's bi-monthly podcast discussing CLOs and all things structured credit. I am your host and reporter with Credit Flux, Hugh Minch. With the consumer price index hitting 8.6% in May, the Federal Reserve this month made its most aggressive rate hike since 1994. The response from markets across asset classes has been turbulent, with analysts and investors alike forecasting a recession. Loans and CLOs are no exception to this volatility. As we record, the S&P LSDA Leverage Loan Index today registered its lowest average bid for price for this year of 93.27 cents. Here to discuss the current period of volatility, I'm joined by Trey Parker. Trey is co-founder and chief investment officer at Sycamore Tree Capital Partners in Dallas. Trey, welcome and thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you for having me, Hugh. I appreciate being on the podcast. How would you describe the investing environment for loans and CLOs today? What's your what's your broad overview? Yeah, I would say the broad overview that we see right now in, in the loan market is people playing defense. And that's been kind of the mantra that we've taken since the increase in volatility earlier this year. There's certainly a lot of concern in Ajda around the rate hikes, around what's going on with inflation and the impact that will have on fundamentals. And clearly, um, there's a rising increase, a rising chance of a recession over the coming 12 to 18 months. And so we continue to move up in quality and maintain in a defensive posture as it relates to our portfolios. What's your view as a firm on the chances of a recession? So far this year, we've uh, we've had a sub 50% chance of recession uh, for the next 12 to 18 months. I would say, you know, given some of the fundamental results we're starting to see through our credit portfolios and the rising chance of the structural uh, longevity of inflation, we see the chance of that recession uh, increasing, especially given the recent, you know, aggressive hikes that the the Fed has taken on interest rates. And so I would tell you now that we're probably greater than 50% chance. And the question is when, not if, a recession hits the US economy. You've invested through recessions in the past. What takeaways do you have from those experiences to share that you think will be relevant going forward? Absolutely. Um, you know, between uh, myself and our partners, we've been around these markets for numerous cycles. And I think that, you know, having some perspective on the shape and duration of cycles is going to be extraordinarily important this time around. I think people are conditioned over the last 14 years to seeing a V-shaped recovery in many recessions uh, that we've seen in and around credit markets. And, and we believe this time very well may be different. And so we are looking at prior cycles where there was a more uh, elongated uh, downturn, um, maybe not as pronounced or as steep, severe, steep as downturn, uh, but a more elongated downturn uh, in performance fundamentally and the impact that will have on our credit. Uh, in our portfolio. In that sense that we're taking a, a very fundamental approach to uh, stress testing businesses and, and credits to make sure that a higher rate environment in coordination with a uh, lower profitability or lower cash flow dynamic uh, is survivable uh, and um, you know uh, predictable as it relates to the, the names that we stay in. I definitely have a lot of questions about you know, individual cases in, in, the, in the loan and broader credit markets, but just sticking to the macro picture for now. You said you expect this time it's going to be it's going to be different from past recessions. I'd quite like you to elaborate on that a little bit. Is that because you know the inflationary picture means it's different from say uh, 2008 or 2000 and 2000 to 2003? What's what what are some of the differences that you see um, between this recessions and 
past recessions that the loan market has gone through. So 2008 was definitely a deleveraging uh, cycle or a deleveraging crisis where there was a significant amount of mark-to-market leverage, particularly on the leverage finance and the loan markets. And while the subsequent uh, outcome of the deleveraging created significant reductions in in revenue or volume demand uh, for for issuers or borrowers in our marketplace, um, the recovery was very swift. Uh, the Federal Reserve had significant ammunition, both from a rate uh, reduction perspective, as well as from a quantitative easing perspective to, you know, quickly and, and succinctly uh, add, you know, monetary policy stimulus behind the economy, which which resulted in ultimately that V-shaped recovery. We saw something very similar um, in 2020 with the pandemic and uh, the massive amount of monetary policy stimulus that was uh, contributed in fiscal stimulus for that matter, contributed to uh, a quick recovery in the economic conditions. I think this this cycle is is very possibly more similar to what we saw in the early 2000s when there was you know just cheap capital and in many cases maybe a misallocation of capital across industries across companies and it takes more time for some of those underperforming situations to to work out and and there will be the winners and losers uh, I think there will be wider dispersion and ultimately I think what we'll see this time is a more rational um, pricing of risk and, and of capital and we're starting to see that dispersion play out today that's very interesting let's um let's talk about um, some of the moves that we've seen in the loan market already can you tell us about um you know, what, what's going on there? What are some of the risk factors that exist? And do you think there's anything that's happened already that you think is reflective of the broader market stress that's likely to be forthcoming? So I would say that the initial reaction of the loan market earlier this year, uh, post the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation, was largely a technical one. Uh, we saw, um, you know, some, you know, just general grossing down of exposures in, in loans, but loans remained, you know, relatively resilient to other credit and other risk asset classes. Uh, in fact, until the months of May and June, loans largely remained, um, you know, neutral to slightly positive. Uh, it wasn't until um, the last two months that we actually saw you know a more material drawdown in in loan prices and ultimately loan returns uh, yet even to this day with loans only down just over three percent versus high yield down over 12 IG down you know nearly 14 and and uh, US Treasuries down also almost 13 percent uh, we still re- remain a fairly resilient asset class I think part of that has to do with the floating rate nature of the asset class and the fact that rates and uh, you know interest rate duration risk wasn't significant for for loans. Uh, But the other part of it is I think there's a stability to the ultimate buyer base. I think the fact that the loan market has, you know, CLOs as a, you know, a, a buy and hold type investor traditionally as a significant portion of loans has been maintained its resiliency as well. In terms of things that we've seen more recently, loan outflows have started to pick up. Uh, we've seen five of the last seven weeks uh, loan outflows in the retail loan fund dynamic, which can be a marginal buyer and seller uh, of loans and has caused some further downdraft in loan prices. Uh, spreads in the loan market are now starting to showcase levels uh, above non-recessionary averages, albeit still you know, rather materially below we've seen in historical uh, U.S. recession dynamics. So I think that there's still potentially more widening to go as we see the chances for a recession increasing over the coming quarters. Yeah, it's interesting about the loan mutual funds, like you said. I mean, earlier this year, we were seeing record inflows 
or seemingly every week. And that was on the back of the interest rate picture. People want to be in a floating rate asset class. Now, it seems seems to me anyway, that focus of investors may have shifted from the technicals to the fundamentals. Is that is that correct? I believe that is correct. I, I think that's what you're seeing in terms of the relative value dispersion across across the market and across individual sectors, albeit the, the recent outflows have been extraordinarily modest uh, with the existing loan mutual fund base still at approximately $130 billion. That's up almost 90% since the end of 2020. So the floating rate exposure that retail investors have taken in loans has started to abate, but we're still very early in that potential unwind should fundamentals become a more significant concern for those investors. What is your sector analysis? Are there there any parts of the market that you're particularly concerned about given the prospect of a recession? You know, we'll start at the at the highest level. I would say that you know sectors that are you know most exposed to uh, inflation, most exposed to a cyclical downturn, especially places like construction, building products, where uh, we believe interest rates are going to have a most dramatic effect on potential uh, demand dynamics. Certainly, the consumer, in particular, the lower end and middle income consumer, is starting to feel the pinch of inflation. You know, things like food and energy are compressing discretionary incomes pretty dramatically. And we're already starting to see a consumer shift away from especially the more durable parts of their demand. Those are sectors, you know, in particular food, um, you know, food producers, to be more specific, uh, have been areas where we've uh, tended to try to avoid or or mitigate exposures, consumer, durable and and retail sectors. And then uh, again, the cyclically exposed building products are sectors that we've been more concerned about. Obviously, we've got the earnings season approaching. We'll find out um, the financial results from the second quarter. What are the key things that you're going to be looking out for um, in those reports? First and foremost, we, we margins are, are where we're very focused. You know, margins obviously lead to free cash flow, and free cash flow leads to our comfort level on a company's ability to service its debt and ultimately repay its debt over time or survive a potential downturn. So. The ability for a company to have you know, pricing power, to be able to augment its cost structure, to counteract the input cost inflation, both on a commodity wage and otherwise, will be critical to understanding the resiliency of borrowers that we're, that we're invested in. So margins is, is first and foremost where we'll be focused. Beyond that, I think it will be outlook uh, or projections for the next two quarters. And certainly if there's any guidance, I doubt there will be into 2023, but guidance will be the other important factor. How are uh, executives or management teams feeling about, you know, the coming, you know, year? You've already seen CEO confidence uh, decline pretty dramatically. And you've seen, you know, kind of a prediction of recessions by management teams rise pretty dramatically over the last couple of months. And in many cases, recessions are psychological more than fundamental. And so the decision making that goes on and the outlook that, that companies have is going to be very indicative of, I think, what happens over the next several quarters. Do you have a best case and worst case scenario in mind when thinking about earnings season from sort of an so broad overall uh, holistic view of the market? Sure. I think um, we're starting to lap some pretty you know, easy comps per se. And I think that, you know, the margin performance will be down, you know, on a sequential basis, but on an annual basis, I think continued revenue growth is certainly going to, you know, be a countervailing, you know, factor as it relates to year over year earnings performance. I think really uh, our concern is, is the ability at the gross margin level for companies to sustain sort of levels of profitability that are consistent with, you know, what we think the long-term underwriting case that we've taken on these companies are. And 
and you know how variable or fixed their cost structures are because we are stress testing you know, our companies and you know looking at uh, 5 10 15 percent you know potential uh, revenue declines and the impact that may have on cash flows and profitability in the future and so the sort of the incremental decremental margin change over the last couple of quarters will be important as we predict what that looks like. What's your analysis both of default risk and of course just as importantly really from the prospect of CLO management what's your outlook for downgrades to triple C as well? You know I think default risk given the uh, substantial runway from a from a maturity perspective right now is still fairly benign. I think there will be certain subsectors uh, or sectors, I should say, like food that have a, a really high risk of, of potential increase in default, but those sectors are relatively small. Um, I think that you know we uh, believe that the rate hikes and the increasing interest costs of companies from rising base rates in LIBOR and SOFR uh, are going to start having some impact on interest coverage ratios. But for the most part, liquidity is relatively sound, at least for the next you know, 12 to 18 months. So we're not super concerned about default increases in that period of time. Should the cycle extend even further in a you know, more modest downturn, I think that becomes a, a bigger level of concern, uh, especially with the higher level capital structures um, that are out there you know, today. I want to talk about the CLO liability market too. Issuance this year has obviously slowed quite significantly. What is your thinking about the main causes of this slowdown in issuance? So I think the slowdown in issuance has largely been uh, a widening in the cost of capital you know, for CLOs. Uh, we've seen the cost of capital uh, widen probably about 70 basis points since the end of 2021. You know, A lot of that driven by significant uh, widening in the AAA market. So I think that has caused, in particular, AAA investors to be cautious about additional issuance. And I think you know, the AAA market historically guides or leads, you know, kind of the issuance dynamic within CLOs. There's a, there's a lot of equity capital out there. I think there's always going to be opportunistic, good relative value investors down the stack in CLO liability investing, but the AAA is really driving, I, I think, the slowdown in activity. I think the reason for that is there's a divided case on who thinks that we end up in a recession in the next 12 months and, and who doesn't. We've seen some modest issuance in, you know, shorter dated or static deals by you know, a very small subset of, of CLO issuers. I think the bet there is really on the quick recovery in loan prices. But if, if you don't believe that, then I think that there's certainly a chance for further bank loan asset class widening and potentially also AAA widening. That being said, we think AAAs are, as an asset class, still very attractive right now, you know, with nominal yields in the 4 to 5% range. Um, you know, that's, that's about as good a return as you've seen in AAAs in a very long time. But I do think there's, there's a caution given the, the different scenario trajectories over the, over the coming months. That's an interesting point about the split in opinion on recession. Is, is it the case that it's different investors in different parts of the capital stack that have a different opinion on this? Or is it a bit more dispersed and random? I think... Um... You know, certainly AAA investors, uh, given the resiliency of the asset class over the last you know two and a half decades, uh, feel pretty good about the fundamental long-term recovery in a, in a buy and hold scenario. So I, I don't think they're 
hyper concerned about a recession from a fundamental perspective. I think it ends up being more of a relative value question. I think the massive interest rate rise that we've seen so far this year and the movement in other structured credit asset classes like uh, CMBS, uh, RMBS, um, IG corporates has made the relative value equation part of, more, more part of the discussion. And I think so much of the AAA budget was, was spent last year, given the massive amount of issuance in CLOs. I think a lot of those investors are, you know, arguably right now rebalancing uh, and uh, looking at, you know, places like RMBS and MBS as, as alternatives to rotate into given the recent moves. I hear quite a lot of explanations for the weakness of the triple bids. I knew you mentioned already relative value um, earlier in the year. It seemed to be that people were saying that it's the inability of some investors to buy LIBOR-linked CLOs that pushed the secondary market wider than the primary market earlier in the year. I've had a few other factors as well. It seems to me you're, you're coming down on the side of it's the relative value question. Is that is that fair? I think that's fair. I think it's relative value and I think it's AAA budgets. I think that certainly is cert- the money center banks here in the US increased their exposures to AAAs pretty substantially last year. And I think they're Therefore, you know, you're seeing some bit of a pause in terms of increasing gross exposure to CLOs. I think the other thing, and we haven't talked about offshore investors in the CLO market yet, but I think the the Japanese yen, um, you know, uh, depreciation that we've seen and the cost of hedging dynamics between the yen and the U.S. dollar has probably also muted some de- demand in terms of uh, U.S.-based uh, CLO AAAs. At this point, though, I think you're CLOs have sold off quite a lot. Has that changed the relative value picture? Has that shifted relative to other asset classes? At what point do you think those banks will start to come back? The question of when the banks come back is probably more of a um, uh, an individual bank decision and, and budgeting exercise as it relates to the relative value, which I, I do think that you know total return and income-based funds will start to rebalance and, and come back to the CLO. AAA asset class uh, is more a function of that relval. And AAA CLOs now are, are cheap to IG corporates. You know, currently about 58 basis points wide versus, you know, that being closer to 40 or 45 basis points for the last year or two. I think they're cheap to CMBS now on both an absolute and a relative basis. Still fairly rich versus the RMBS and the MBS markets uh, on a spread and relative basis. I think the move in rates having kind of maybe found a bit of a near term uh, peak at at 350 about a week and a half ago, I think will start to allow investors to start looking back at at CELO AAAs as a a more interesting uh, allocation. So that's the AAA. What are you hearing from uh, meds and equity investors that you speak with about their priorities as well as their concerns? Yeah, so I think there it becomes much more of a fundamental question. Uh, I think it's it's a bifurcated view, as we talked about, on whether or not we end up in a recession, uh, and if so, there is likely to be much further widening in triple B and double B. You know, in terms of the near term, you know, spread dynamics. I think that in that part of the market, we haven't seen quite as much uh, rebalancing. There's actually been a pretty muted reaction. Not not that there's been zero reaction, but we haven't seen a real capitulation yet. I think in the bottom part of the CLO liability cap. Stack, and we think that you know that right now in the triple B, double B, you know, in some cases is is uh, tight to um, you know where things like high yield are. So there's also a relative value dynamic, like there is anywhere. But you know, I don't think that 
the bottom part of the stack has really you know seen the massive selling um, that really would uh, come with uh, really cheap and attractive places to, to get involved in the markets. You are still seeing some new issuance, as I said earlier, and uh, I think that you're seeing reasonably rational pricing on triple B's and double B's um, in, in that part of the market right now in that limited new issuance. And how are CLO warehouses holding up given the drop in loan prices? You know, the good news is uh, the market's learned its lesson. Um, most of the market warehouses right now are uh, non-mark to market, uh, which means there's no forced selling, there's no forced unwind of these warehouse transactions. Most warehouses are relatively new in their life cycle and traditionally have about one year invest reinvest periods and another year, or so two year total terms. So I think given Again, the relatively short tenure of most of those warehouses being open and the long tail there. I don't think there's a lot of agita or concern yet um, by the warehouse providers or uh, the folks that have posted that warehouse collateral. And it's sort of a wait and see approach at this point. Finally, I wanted to ask you, what's the biggest risk factor for the market as we go forward? What's the thing that you're primarily concerned about? You know, I would say unfettered, you know, in the bigger picture on the macro basis, it's, it's really uncontrolled and unfettered inflation, you know, something like a stagflation environment where the Fed's not able to get, you know, things like wage and rent inflation under control. And we see lower growth and or recession dynamic. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest risk to broader markets right now. Uh, certainly the, the recent move by the Fed of 75 basis points and, and potentially another 75 next month starts to abate that. And I think we've already started to see that in the behavior recently. Recently of, of equity markets and even even bond markets, but I think that's in my mind the biggest concern is that stagflationary environment where you know costs continue to elevate and escalate and and demand uh, falters. Trey Parker, co-founder and chief investment officer at Sycamore Tree Capital Partners. Thank you so much for joining the last tranche today. Great, thank you for having me here. Thank you for listening to the last tranche. If you like our show and want to know more, subscribe to Credit Flux and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share our content.